So I'm not up here to preach this morning. I'm only up here to introduce the speakers or to tie in their talk this morning with the theme that we've been following all summer. So Jen, our worship leader, mentioned that this summer we've been focusing on our core values. Who are we as a community? Who are we as individuals? What's part of, what's the, the key aspects of our DNA? Now, as an intro, really what I wanted to see is uh, tie it in with some of the news stories we've been following lately. Um, you notice, for example, uh, we all, well, many of us shared a sense of sorrow this week to hear of Roger Williams, Roger, Robin Williams, Roger Williams founded Rhode Island. I'm a Rhode Islander. Robin Williams suicide. Now, there's two stories that come out of that that really tie in with our core values and our focus. One is that, you know, maybe you heard in the small print that Westboro Baptist Church, kind of an antagonistic church in Kansas, not typical of churches, is trying to protest at his funeral. That's, you know, what does this do for the name of Christ? But on the other hand, maybe you saw in his bio in Time magazine that Robin Williams' favorite book as a child was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, an Oxford University professor who became a Christian late in life and wrote many books defending Christian faith, but also wrote a bunch of kids' stories that have been highly influential. His feeling was, in his case and in other cases, it's story that brings people to faith. And so he wrote this book. Now, we have no idea whether Robin... Williams ever came to faith, but here's the thing is, at least he was exposed to the faith through C.S. Lewis using his vocation for the glory of God, which is what we're all aiming to do as a focus. Uh, Another story uh, that came up in uh, Emily's prayer, you know, this whole Ebola virus breakout. And maybe you followed two or three weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago by now, where two Americans were airlifted back to the U.S. for treatment. What a great balance to some of the crazy things that people do, that both these people who got airlifted back for treatment, you know, they're both missionaries. One with Samaritan's Purse and the other with SIM. Serving in Liberia, or serving overseas where there was a need, and getting caught up in this disease that's so deadly. Now, just yesterday, a director of a medical group also serving in Liberia, not a Christian medical group, put it like this. This was the decision she faced. She had four American medical doctors under her service in um, Liberia. And as she saw Ebola spreading, she had to decide what to do with these four American doctors. And she wrestled with it. They wanted to give their lives for the work. In the end, she brought them back to the U.S., And the African physicians and nurses who were left behind said they understood, but they felt abandoned. Liberia has a population of 4 million and has only 250 doctors in the whole country. Seven doctors in Liberia have contracted Ebola, and two of them have died. These are national doctors. How significant is it? that some Christian doctors were serving there when Ebola broke out at the risk of their own lives. One of our chief values is that we want to be God-centered. What a wonderful testimony this is for God to offset the counterbalance some crazy things that go on. 
And another example of one of our core values has been occurring this week. Many of us have watched with anxiety about Ferguson, Missouri, and the kind of thing that's going on there and all the racial unrest that's going on there. And the last couple of crises, if you've read about it, Time Magazine always anticipates what preachers are going to say on Sunday for the last couple of crises. And so there was an article yesterday, what preachers in Ferguson, Missouri, are going to say on Sunday to help the people address all the rioting and the turmoil that the city is going through. But this really touches on our core value of community. Because it really doesn't matter so much what the preachers say. It really matters what kind of community exists in our churches. Because whatever those preachers say, it's how those churches live together. And how, remember one of the core values of community is diversity. How diverse are those churches? Are these churches places where Asians and African Americans and Hispanics and Caucasians can live together in peace and harmony? Are these churches of, of different stripes that stand together and help the community in time of crisis? See, these core values that we're talking about this summer, they matter. They're ways through which we influence our world for God. There are things that our community looks at. And so this morning, we're looking at another of our core values, missional. That God has given us each a mission, a role to play in our world. Now, missional will spend several weeks on it because it's really an umbrella for several different areas. We've already looked at evangelism when Pastor David was here. And when Pastor David comes back, we'll look at missional again, uh, short-term missions. Next week, we'll look at missional in regard to uh, vocational missions because Pastor Jamie Taylor will be back, one of our missionaries serving overseas. You've got evangelism, you've got missions, and you've got social concerns, mercy and justice. So for this week, I asked our EMers who serve within social concerns and social concerns committee members and other EMers who serve on EML Corps for social concerns to invite a couple of their group to tell us their stories and their, uh, talk about their commitment to social concerns. And so Andrew and Nathan will speak to us this morning. How's it going, guys? Anyways, I, I wish I could stand up here with uh, wonderful stories where I could regale you with tales of how I went to a faraway nation and saved a whole tribe of people. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not there yet. But what I can share is a little bit of my motivations and, and why I care about these things. So to start off, I was raised in the church. I was actually baptized at the age of six or seven, which is kind of a surprise to me looking back. Um, I think it came up because my parents asked me what I would do if I died because I really wanted to be a firefighter. And I told them, I believe in Jesus. I'm good to go. I'm not worried about it. And, you know, I did sincerely believe in Jesus at that time, and I, I did believe that I accepted him as my Savior, but perhaps I didn't fully know what that meant. So growing up, I went through adolescence in youth where I spent a lot of days brooding and wondering who am I and why are my friends like this? Why am I like this? It was a fair amount of introspection, a little bit of angst, you know, the usual youth stuff. 
and a little bit of doing silly things. Uh, my parents did a great job of keeping me out of trouble. I should thank them for that, but it also led to not so great self-control because it was mostly parental control. And when I went to college, boy, 3,000 miles away, no parents, not the greatest recipe. Uh, I did a lot of things where I can say I explored, and it was unfortunately to the detriment of my own spiritual life, the detriment to other people, and I'm very sure that it saddened God a lot. So for those of you that are about to go to college, watch out what you do. Um, I think you could sum up my, my youth and, and younger days, relatively younger, because I'm only 27, but you could sum them up as a lot of learning and a lot of knowledge, but very little application, very little using what I had learned. Um, and that's honestly mostly my fault. Where my faith really got forged, I'd say, was after college. It was after I graduated. And a main reason was because I actually had more time to reflect. I didn't have to worry about classes or sleeping through classes or finals. I could actually come home from work and sit there and not worry about anything. So it offered me a lot of time to really reflect, really you know, take part in, in small group discussions where I could wrestle with things, which was pretty nice, honestly. Probably the, the one thing that triggered a lot of this was watching this video of a U.S. Army helicopter gunship accidentally shooting a bunch of unarmed journalists in Iraq. Um, it made me wonder, what really are we doing there? What, what are we as a country doing? How are we helping these people out there. And unfortunately, the more questioning I did, the, the more it led back to what is God doing? Why is God letting this happen? And I did struggle a lot with sovereignty. I struggled a lot with Romans chapter 9. And it brought me a lot of anguish that it seemed like there's a possibility that God could predestine people to a future where they wouldn't know him for eternity. So I got to thank a lot of my roommates and friends, like Gary, Josh, Patek. I absolutely barraged them with questions, a lot of mean, some silly questions about who God is, what his character is, why does God allow this? And, you know, they actually patiently, patiently talked me through this. They, they walked me through this. But I had so many questions for them. A lot of it was, you know, do we as people have a responsibility? Um, and for those people that die without accepting Christ or knowing Christ, what is their responsibility? I, I will admit I don't have any of those answers, and it still perplexes me, but one thing that I, I read, which was a funny quote about Calvinism versus Arbinianism, is this generate this discussion generates a lot of heat, but very little light. So regardless of where I may stand, I shall proceed um, by faith. 
some other things that came up during that time of questioning and introspection was um, this series, or at least a sermon by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. And it was something that really affected me <clears throat> to a large degree. In this, Tim Keller talks about the prodigal son and, and how that story was kind of crazy for back in the day. Um, Jesus was talking to an audience of sinners and tax collectors and also people from the church that were very well versed in all the rules, namely the Pharisees. And for that, the story of the prodigal son was really astounding in how the father was willing to accept the son that basically slapped him in the face. But at the same time, it was also about how the older brother sat there and really didn't do much. How he, by following rules, was kind of a stumbling block for himself because he wanted what the father had and didn't really care about the younger son. And I'd say the, the last event that really galvanized my motivation was <clears throat> the, death, the death of my best friend's dad at the time. This is something that still brings me anguish and sadness to this day. <clears throat> so growing up, I had another friend. He was practically a brother of mine. Not only did we look alike, but we also dressed alike, and sometimes we wore the same shirt to school, so people definitely thought we were brothers. But I knew his family for a while. Um, they were very nice to me. They loved me and treated me as their own son, which was pretty awesome. They gave me rides everywhere. I slept over a lot of times at their place. But my friend's dad developed a, a case of leukemia where he started losing weight very rapidly. And something happened with his white blood cells where they were not happy with each other, so his body honestly started wasting away. Um, during that time, <clears throat> it became apparent that he only had a matter of weeks to live. And it made me think about all those times that I'd spent with him and his family and how I knew God and knew about God but did nothing to share about what I knew. I did nothing to share about the relationship or even the, the cursory knowledge that I had of the Bible. I honestly spent nights pleading with God <clears throat> that, that God would be able to reach out to him and save him. I called up my old pastor from home. I, I was like, Pastor Exeter, please, you've got to go visit him. You've got to visit him. Unfortunately, he was out of town in Georgia visiting his parents. So my friend's dad died, and I honestly don't know whether he died knowing Christ or not. But I'd say this really reinforced the notion that I, as a Christian, cannot stand by idly. I can't sit there quietly while there are people out there who don't know God. In the Bible, if we are called to be ambassadors of Christ, and I sit there and don't tell people about Christ, don't represent Christ in what I do. What good of an ambassador am I? So to bring it more to present day and, and after these thoughts and events, where has this led me now? 
It's led me to focus a lot on my relationships with my non-Christian friends. During college, I will say most of my friends were non-Christian. My roommate of four years, um, actually three years, sorry, became one of my best friends. And at the time, he was struggling with a lot of things. But after college, he did end up eventually accepting Christ, which is absolutely awesome. And these events also made me reflect on what we as Christians do um, in caring for others. As, as somebody here who has been blessed with a, a job and a roof over my head, do we do as Christ does in, in taking care of those who don't have as much? So these things, you know, brought us to places where Eric led a team that, that did some street evangelism. We, we did some work with the homeless. And unfortunately, these were great things, but they were kind of fleeting, at least, in, in things that I have done. It, it wasn't something that has carried out. I, I cannot say I, I go into the middle of the street anymore and, and evangelize to people. So right now, my wife and I are looking for longer-term things. We, we did move to Lowell with a purpose to, to help out in the community there. And as a congregation, I'd say, you guys can help us out by, by poking me and prodding me, <laughs> reminding me of, of why I believe what I believe and and we'll do what I do. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Nate. I have been... Hey, guys. <laughs> um, I have been in this church for a whole bunch of years. I don't know how long we've been here. 14 years. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a missionary home, and then I you know, switched to a pastor. Uh, my father's a pastor, so I'm a pastor's kid. Um, and I'll tell you, um, 22 years it took me to come to faith for being in the church. Um, so I was invited here today to share with you my ministry beyond the walls of this church. And I'd like to give you a bit of a background about how God took me, you know, 22 years of wasting my life, how he took me away from that to where I am today. Um, newly married, um, my family and I are, are, you know, we're trying to figure out where to go. We don't quite know where it is yet. So I'll give you a bit of a background about, you know, how, you know, how God has molded my, my, my mind and my heart and then show you a bit of where we plan on going in the future. To start with, I would like to read a, a Bible verse, and it's uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 21, where Jesus says to the rich man, Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Um, then come follow me. And, you know, standing before you today, I wish I could say I have sold everything I have, given it to the poor, and, and following Jesus. Um, but you know how sinful humanity is, you know, when I first came to faith, yes, yeah, I, I sold a bunch of my stuff. You know, I, I gave it up for Christ. But day to day, you know, you find more and more things that you're holding on to. And on the good days, you're even able to give it up. 
only for it to come back and haunt you a month or a week later when it slips back into your heart and you don't even know until your, your words, your actions, your thoughts reflect it and you're like, here I am again. Um, but that never used to be the case. Um, I never used to care. I never used to want to follow Jesus. I never used to want to try and give things up. Um, graduating from college, I, I um, had wealth, um, comfort, and, and just personal gratification on my mind. Um, I accepted the highest paying job I was offered, moved out to the middle of nowhere, um, took all the money out of my bank account to buy a fun car, and I borrowed some from my mom to do that too. And she was nice enough to give me, it's a waste of money um, to buy a fun car. But um, I did it all because I had no intention um, to serve God with my life. I had every intention to serve myself. Um, fortunately for me, um, you know, all the castles of sand I built up, God eventually broke down uh, after about nine months, and he brought me back home. Um, I didn't know why I was back home. I didn't know what I was doing. I was still focused on myself. Um, but it was through serving with the youth pastor, Larry Lynn, down in the basement with the youth, that, that God started to open my heart and mind to, to greater things that he has in mind in store for me. Um, it was through the the actions and, and the prayers of a missionary pastor, and I'm sure that the endless years of prayers from my parents, that God finally um, brought me to faith. Um, he finally opened my heart and mind up to what he has in this world um, and what he wants me to pursue. Um, so I'd like to, I guess, just share um, a bit of the stories that, you know, that after I came to faith, what helped me to get to where I am today. Um, and the first is, you know, as much as I hate reading, um, some people were able to convince me to read some books after I came to faith. Um, three of them are up there in the back. Um, the, Irresist the Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne, Simple Spirituality by Chris Hertz, and Reckless Faith by Beth Guckenberger, um, which is actually free on Amazon. I found that out when I Googled it, which is nice. Um, but now, these are three books, um, and the reason why I was able to read these books, right, is they're compilation of short stories and each of these authors is trying to send the same message. You know, the stories are different, their ministries are different, but the overall theology is Jesus' teachings are simple and his commands for us to follow um, after his example is clear. It's whether or not we choose to accept it and pursue it. That's our choice. Um, so their books are just stories of how they have done some reckless things, some crazy things, and how God has helped them through to kind of give us encouragement you know, in the obstacles we face, the struggles we have. Um, and after these books, you know, I, I began to, to seek out other people in this church um, that were being missional. Um, I, had the, I had the fortunate uh, opportunity to serve alongside a seminarian named Stan. Some of you guys might know Stan. He, he served with this church for three years. And, uh, you know, serving alongside him, we had the opportunity to hang out a bit. And one of these Sundays on our way back from lunch, uh, we're driving through Airwife. And you guys know at Airwife, there's a, a whole mess of highways. There's like six highways that intersect. It's a mess of, of just islands and, and, and cars everywhere. And one of these days when we're driving back from lunch, Stan looked on these islands, with, with, you know, that, that, um, and he noticed about three or four of these homeless people with these cardboard signs walking around saying, you know, I'm homeless, I'm an ex-military, so blah, blah, you know, please give me some money. And so instead of giving money, he decided to pull the car over and we started to get out and chat with them. And that... You know, that, that 
gut instinct of his and that conversation we had, had has led to four years of friendship with some people that otherwise I would have had no intention to ever speak with or get to know. Um, you know, I'd always grown up with the impression that homeless people are a being on society. They just want our money for their drugs and they just want our money and they're lazy. And you know what I found out? Is yeah, most of them are drug addicts. Only one of them isn't. Um, but that doesn't make them any less worth our time, right? So, so from that, just that simple step of stand, just initiating the conversation, God was able to show me that these people are worth your time. And as I think about it more, you start to realize these people are the ones that Jesus spent his time with. So if I'm going to truly follow after Jesus, you know, I start to get my mind thinking, maybe I need to start opening my eyes a little bit more around me to find out where these opportunities in, in the towns around me are. Um, now, a second um, opportunity that, that, that God brought my way was, you know, after I came back from Haiti, I spent six months in Haiti working in an orphanage. Uh, that's a story for another time. But when I came back, it was hard for me. Uh, if you can imagine being in Haiti after the earthquake with cholera, um, everywhere and with AIDS being an epidemic there, it's, it's very discouraging to be in that country and to see the people around you suffering, starving, begging for food and money. Um, so when coming back, it was hard to adjust, to fit back in to a culture in America where we often idolize things like food, cars and homes, and, and you know, our lives are amazing here. Um, so I had a hard time fitting back in. I had a hard time coming to terms with things. And you know, you can ask some of my friends here that I kind of disappeared for a while. Um, I didn't know how to handle it. I was frustrated. And so I just stopped. My solution was to stop hanging out with people um, until I figured things out. Um, and, and however unrighteous and dumb that was of me, and opposite of what God would have done, God did use that, uh, that struggle I had to bring me to um, a closer friendship with a friend of mine named Bobby. Um, I had grown up with Bobby my entire high school career. Um, he lived in Lexington, I lived in Acton. Um, but you know, as I was going through this struggle, I started to just look around and try and reach out to people who were, were pursuing after Christ, and I found Bobby. And after talking with Bobby, I found out you know, he spent a lot of his time at a homeless shelter um, 15 minutes down the street here in Waltham. And so I had the opportunity to just go out there with him. Um, to see what he was doing. He brought me around. You know, Waltham has some amazing resources for the, the homeless and the needy and the poor. Um, they have day shelters um, where they try and help people find jobs. They have soup kitchens to provide food and places for people to sleep at night. Um, so, you know, the time spent with Bobby, you know, wasn't trying to convert people, but was just trying to, you know, Bobby was just introducing me to people to help me to just get to know these people as human beings, not as... as um, pity cases that I had to go save, but just as fellow children of God. Um, and, you know, Bobby was faithful in that he just went. Um, he didn't try to convert people. He just allowed God to bring the conversations around. And when, when they did come, you know, he had the opportunity to discuss his faith with those around him. Um, you know, why would, a, why would a clean-shaven Asian kid be hanging out with a bunch of homeless people? So that really, you know, opened my eyes to see how somebody in this church, you know, is, is doing some great things. And from that, I began to also realize a bunch of other people in this church on a regular basis volunteer in so many um, great opportunities out there in Boston, in soup kitchens, um, in homeless shelters, and of the various sorts. Um, 
And then it's funny that, so in my family, you know, there's, there's three of us sons to my parents. Um, I came to faith at the age of 22. My brother came to faith at a much younger age. I'm not sure exactly when, but it might have been around seven or so. Um, so he spent his life pursuing what God wanted um, him to do, or trying to figure it out at least. I spent my life not caring. Um, but after I came to faith, you know, what I realized is my brother had been spending his years out in Chicago serving alongside uh, migrant, immigrant and refugee communities there. Um, what happened was he, he went to Wheaton College, which is a Christian university, and when he graduated, um, some of his, uh, the alumni and himself realized, you know, God is calling us to serve. God is calling us to follow after Jesus. You know, where did Jesus go? Well, he went to the poor, the needy, the broken, um, the people that were disadvantaged in society. And so they looked around their neighborhoods and said, you know, where can we go? Um, and they found out that the government had taken over um, this community, housing community in the town of Wheaton and they set it aside for immigrants and refugees, low-income housing, to, to help those people that come over from other countries to, to get a head start in America and have some hope of making it um, with their families. So my brother and his friends moved into there. And if, you can, if you can imagine, you know, there's tons of ethnic um, families there from Uganda, from from all over the place, and, and then you have these like six or seven just sheltered white kids moving in with them. Um, you know, why? What's the purpose? Um, you know, once again, they didn't go door to door knocking, trying to trying to convert people. They just lived there because um, Jesus spent his time with that kind of people. So they figured, you know, we're going to spend our time with the disadvantaged people and just let God bring the opportunities to us. Um, Something, you know, I called my brother, as I was preparing for this, I called my brother the other day um, to, to just try and, you know, get some story from him to, to see, you know, how things were going. And um, the thing he made sure to tell me is that, you know, when you share, when you go into this yourself, the point is not that you pity these people, and that you're their savior to come help them. The point is um, Jesus felt it worth his time to spend this spend his time with people. So who are you not to think you know, your time is worth more than them? Um, just you know, following Jesus just in his footsteps and doing what he did. Um, and it's the simple things, the little things that, that make a difference in these people's lives. Uh, my brother and his friends, you know, some of the things they do is they provide rides to these families, to the doctors, to school, to whatever, you know, because when they come from overseas, they don't have cars. They have no way of getting around. You know, until they develop the language, they have a hard time navigating the bus system. Um, so my brother is there to provide rides and emergencies. Um, another thing is due to the lack of the language, my brother has had the, I wouldn't say he'd call it a blessing, but he's had the opportunity to get on the phone and spend days arguing with AT&T. Um, because one of his neighbors, you know, can't speak English all that well, and had this aggressive salesman who, who you know, so, so the neighbor called up to try and resolve a problem, but... But while he was doing this, the aggressive salesman like tried, tricked him into signing up for a bunch more things that cost him a bunch more money. And he didn't have the money for the first thing, and now he has to pay for all these other things. So he finally came to my brother. My brother had to spend days on the phone with AT&T, arguing with them to just resolve uh, all the things that he signed this poor guy up for. Um, so it's, it's things like that, just speaking on behalf of his neighbors, that God is able to use my brother there. Um, and, you know... As they spend more time there, you know, more people hopefully will start to realize, you know, why are they here? And so to ask them, you know, why are you here? Um, you know, they, they're vocal about, you know, the, the fact that they're Christians. 
but they don't go door to door trying to convert people, uh, which is interesting. Um, and another thing they do is 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 to evangelize, I guess, in a way, is you know they get to know a lot of these kids because when these families come from overseas, um, both parents typically have to work long hours, and so what. You know, my brother and his friends have the opportunity to do is to just hang out with these kids after school because you know, they're just running around. Some of them have grandparents to take care of them, but even the grandparents typically just kick them out of the house, go have fun with their friends. And so then, you know, they have a little bit of money so they can host birthday parties when it's somebody's birthday party, buy a cake or something. Um, and they have the opportunity just to build these relationships with these kids. And this has led to my brother being able to take, you know, a group of these kids to youth group on a regular basis. And while that may not be ministering to the parents, you're bringing the kids to youth group, you know, the parents realize, okay, my kid's going to church. Then when the kid comes back, you know, the kid tells the parent you know, about church and maybe about Jesus and what they learned. And that's a way that God has been using my brother to kind of minister to the people around him. Um, so you know, now it's about, you know, what am I going to do? Um, now that God has opened my eyes uh, to his mission, what am I going to do to follow after Jesus? My, my wife and I, after we got married, we moved into an apartment in Lawrence. Um, we chose Lawrence because, quite frankly, I googled um, poorest towns in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, Dorchester comes up, Lynn comes up, Lowell comes up, um, Lawrence came up. And there's a few out west, Springfield and Orange. But we wanted to, you know, kind of do what my brother was doing, to try in an essence, do what Jesus did and spend time in these communities of people, um, to live amongst them, to partner alongside of them, and you know, not only to help them adjust and help them um, you know, start the families in America, but just to be their neighbors, be their friends, um, to not separate ourselves from them just because we can, because of the money we have. You know, we, I guess the idea is that you know, my wife and I, she was born in... Um, Cambridge, I believe. But she lived in Lexington her whole life. I lived in Acton. You know, we had no control over the families we were born into. We got lucky. Uh, I had great parents. She had great parents to bring us to where we are today. We, quite frankly, got lucky. We didn't do anything to deserve this. So, you know, some people get unlucky. And so it's our job kind of to try and, you know, God being a God of justice, it's our attempt to try and bring some justice to this world and, and use our resources to help those around us. Um, we're not sure what we're going to do yet. Uh, we're spending the first year in Lawrence just renting an apartment with a guy, um, sorry, the landlord in the same house, um, just to get familiar with Lawrence as a town. I'm uh, trying to you know, just get a feel for the community, for the culture, because it's, it's a different culture than we have here in Lexington or Acton. Um, there are the closest Asian people in Lawrence to us are four little girls down the street. Um, we... Everybody's Hispanic around us. Everybody speaks Spanish. Um, the only white person that I've ever seen is my landlord who lives below us. Um, so it's a different, it's a different, almost a different world altogether that we just need a year to adjust to. You know, not only get our marriage started and figure that out, but also to just figure out, you know, their culture and where we can be used. Um, and there, you know, there is fear. There, of course, there is fear because we're going to something we don't know. Um, there's fear in our parents because because we're giving up comfortable suburban lives to go into one of the more dangerous towns in this nation. Um, there is fear that needs to be addressed. And you know, my, my, in Chicago, uh, when my brother was in Chicago, um, 
his roommate needed to take a phone call, stepped outside of their apartment, and five minutes later, he had a gun pointing at his face, asking for, and somebody asking for his money. Um, it happens, right? Um, my, my brother, during his ministry, my brother parks his car and goes inside a church to, 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 to speak, and he comes out, and um, his window's broken, and somebody has taken his GPS and everything else he had in it. Um, I go to work one day, and I walk up to my car, and it's a mess. And being tired, I'm not a morning person, right? So I'm standing there looking at my car thinking, why did I rummage through my car last night, flipping everything over, trying to find something? And it took me about 30 seconds to realize that wasn't me. Um, that somebody went through my entire car and took every single last penny I had. Um, and so things happen. You know, there is a fear. But and when that stuff happens, you know, it doesn't feel good. But it forces, you know, we need to remember to just take a step back and remember, what are we doing and why are we doing it? If we truly do believe in a God that has conquered death and is sovereign over all, then yeah, you know, these little stumbling blocks, they do suck. But um, in the long scheme of things, you know, our mission is still clear that we need to continue to reach out to the people that Jesus spent his time with. Um, and the opportunities for ministry in a place like Lawrence and a place like Lowell are abundant. Um, you know, some, some of you here go to soup kitchens um, in the Boston area, and you know the opportunities there are abundant too. We may not have them in Lexington or Acton or Weston, but we have them um, in surrounding towns. And my wife and I trying to figure out what you know what to do with our time. Uh, we went online and Google just trying to go on Google and find opportunities. And there, you know, seven tutoring programs in the town of Lawrence where where we can sign up for it to volunteer and help coach some kids along in the academics and try and give them a little head start on the school year. Um, and there are plenty of other mentorship programs for youth, you know, Big Brother, Big Sister, and other homeless ministries available. Um, and so that's what I guess, you know, we are trying to do with our lives. We're trying to uh, follow after Jesus in reaching uh, the poor, the needy, those that just don't, those that kind of got screwed over in life. Um, trying to help them to bring a little bit of justice to this world. Um, so thank you for your time.